Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Dr. Santosh here, coming at you after dark. Your neighborhood friendly pediatric infectious disease doctor and researcher. Oh, after dark. That means we have to use our ASMR voices to impart <laughs> information. All, always fun. And and I th- I think, I hope our, our listeners get a kick out of that. Santosh, what are we going to talk about this week? Oh, dude, I thought we could do another installment in our award-winning series, Around the World in 80 Plagues. <gasps> Around the World in 80 Plagues? <laughs> Ah, royalty-free music. How I love you. You guys, we have a sound effect now. Uh, Dr. Josh and I discovered audio blocks. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) uh, it's been a while since we have done one of our Around the World in 80 Plagues, and this one was brought to me by Dr. Santosh, which is appropriate because he's over in California and like, oh my God, where in California do you live exactly? <laughs> I, I live in Glendale, but I work in Beverly Hills. Oh my God. It's one of the few times I'll actually bother to go into the city. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. You've actually been in the city. God. <laughs> oh, that's right. The other the other California accent is slow surfer dude. Oh, that's oh, that's a very popular one. Very chill, man. Yeah. But both of them deal with the valley. They do. 
<laughs> yeah. Although, uh, so I want to talk to you guys about a, a different valley, but a disease that is prevalent throughout Southern California, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. Yeah, I, I want to talk to you, Josh, and to our wonderful audience about coccidioidomycosis. Oh, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's weird and long and and kind of goofy. Um, but if yeah, you treat it, it fast enough, you'll always look precocious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's usually asymptomatic, actually, so it doesn't require treatment. But you know, it, it can get pretty bad in some cases, and we'll we'll get to talking about that. Asymp- uh, it's asymptomatic, deadly coccidiomycosis. <laughs> ah, I knew you were going to round it out. Like you can't I'm just um, lie. I'm the lie. Are we done? Are we all done? Or <laughs> yeah, coccidioidomycosis. It's it's absolutely the same as supercalifragilistic, super supercalifragilistic expialidocious. Before we start talking about valley fever and what valley it specifically is referring to, mm-hmm. surprisingly, not Death Valley. No. That would be Although, my first suspect. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll find a lot of things in Death Valley. The primary cause of death out there is environmental. It's heat stroke. Josh, I, I think I introduced this to you and I... I showed you a little bit about like the history, which is your absolute fave fave. Oh my goodness. Uh, You just, you (laughs) opened up a whole can of worms. Some fun characters like Alejandro Posadas, who has one of the most coolest. No, 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 no. Let's not bury the lead. No, Uh, no, no. You sent me an article that can be easily found and it's free to all on PubMed. It'll be linked in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to have to read at least in part direct excerpts from it to to (laughs) properly give you the setting for this disease. (laughs) And, and we should, we should credit them. So this is in the article, medical mycology 2019 of February. So it's brand new article and it's called coccidioidomycosis. What a long, strange trip it's been by Dr. Stan Derezinski and Lawrence F. Murals. Let's set the scene. So, this was actually jogged because um, there's been a lot of coxie recently out here in California. We had a big fire recently, um, and it was out in Calabasas and Topanga Canyon. And there were rescue workers who went out and um, dug up the soil uh, while they were trying to put out fires. They disturbed the soil. And this fungus that lives in the soil, the spores got dispersed, and a lot of people inhaled this stuff. And so they got sick from from it. Um, and so that's why uh, it's, it's a very topical thing right now to talk about coccidioidomycosis. Um, this is called a dimorphic fungus. It changes shape depending on if it's in the environment or if you uh, inhale it and it sets up in your lungs. Um, it can affect all kinds of mammals. So this is a human disease. This is a veterinary disease. It, it forms, first of all, an infection in your lungs, and you get this thing called valley fever. And usually, by and large, you have like a flu-like type of symptoms. You get so a little bit of cough, and in a few days, you feel all better. 
Um, but we're going to talk a little bit, uh, you and me, when we get into the pathology and the fungus and everything about why it can cause some like really severe disease, especially if you're immune compromised. And so let us go back, back all the way to history. In 1948, yeah, Dr. Flavio Nino was wandering through the pathology museum in the hospital of University of Buenos Aires Medical School, where what did he discover? but a human head in a jar of formalin. (laughs) Yeah, and this this wasn't just any head, right? This, This head was disfigured. There were a lot of skin lesions all over it. In fact, he took a look at this disfigured head covered in skin lesions over roughly half the face, um, minimum. And he said to himself... I know that man. <laughs> and he knew it because of an article published in 1892. Yes, so let's go. So now let's time travel even further back to the life of that man. And it all starts with a simple soldier, Domingo Escura, in 1892. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, and uh, and a doctor who tried to take care of him, Alejandro Posadas. Now, do yourself a favor, go and Google him. That is a mustache any hipster could envy. Oh, I absolutely love it. It makes me so happy. So, Domingo Esquera, in 1889, Escura was a 33-year-old cavalryman in the Chaco frontier in northern Argentina. And he noted what he thought was, you know, simple spider bite on his cheek. But this spider bite worsened and additional ones began to appear despite, you know, the best medical science of the day, which is rub some tobacco on it and cut it open with your knife that you use for eating. By the way, that goes all the way to present day. Only the the tobacco has been changed to things that are a little bit more like acidic and stuff. Upon finally getting to a military hospital, he was initially diagnosed with a disease we'll talk about some other time, lupus vulgaris, but he Mm -hmm. didn't improve due to treatment there. So he was transferred to a different hospital in San Juan, Argentina, where he was given the diagnosis of mycosis fungoides, another fungal type disease, and he didn't respond to treatment there. And then he got to University Hospital Clinic in Buenos Aires where he came under the care of an intern, Alejandro Posadas. And his glorious mustache. Yeah, so all these things that he was diagnosed with, uh, you know, lupus vulgaris, auto-inflammatory syndrome, you know, mycosis fungoides, sounds like a fungal infection, but it's actually, you know, a T-cell lymphoma. So, um, you know, they thought maybe he had cancer because these things were starting to ulcerate, but also causing like growths all over his face, right? Really destructive lesions uh, around his face. And um, Dr. Posadas saw him and originally uh, published his case. He said a new case of mycosis fungioides. But then he got a chance to view it under a microscope, probably had to bend his mustache down at the sides. <laughs> um, yeah. And he saw these huge multinucleated giant cells. They looked like they had a bunch of little eyeballs floating in them, or at least one, <laughs> one to two, uh, just looking out yeah, at the yeah. world. And he called them... Uh, 
protozoa. This is what I really, really love, Josh, and this is how the tie-ins work. So coccidians, right? Coccidians are cyst-forming apicomplexin parasites. That's actually what I study, toxoplasma, apicomplexin eukaryotic parasites, protozoan parasites, not fungi, form cysts in tissue that looked a lot like what Dr. Posada saw under the microscope. So he thought, oh, this is a coccidian parasite. This is it, It's a little bit different from toxoplasma. It doesn't look the same. So maybe this is a brand new coccidian parasite. Tragically, Escora did not survive his disease, as you might imagine, given that his head was found <laughs> in a bucket of formalin yeah. a number of years later. And Posadis went on to study. He believed he had discovered the cause of this fungal disease, mycosis fungoides, the incorrect. And his major professional thesis had actually dealt with the surgical treatment of tuberculosis and tuberculosis-like diseases, which is what put him onto this disease first. And in a tragic turn of dramatic irony he himself died of tuberculosis in 1902 at only 31 years of age following this we've got 1894 emmett rixford adjunct professor of surgery at cooper medical college presented another azorian immigrant farmer uh joas fortado silvera um, who had a lot of skin lesions and they found the same spherical protozoa. And, you know, by this time, Posadas had published a little bit. Here was kind of the cool thing going on, right? So they thought, oh, almost for sure, this is coccidian protozoa. It's not coccidia. It is like coccidia. So we'll call it coccidioides. Oid meaning like kind of or sort of or ish. looks like it's the scientific version of ish <laughs> it is it's the thing that's perfect so you know they he partnered up with another physician gilchrist 1896 we'll do another publication in johns hopkins hospital say two cases of protozoan coccidioidal infection of the skin and other organs and these patients who had passed away now here's the cool part josh they had taken out this tissue, right? And they had found these coccidian things by microscopy, but they also, of course, put it onto culture media. And uh, they said, you know what? Is this like, there's this moldy white growth that's coming off of these people with coccidioides. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on. And for a really long time, believe it or not, Josh, People thought that this was just a contaminant. Rixford and Gilchrist had found this growth before when they grew this on the thing. And they said, no, 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 we're dealing with a protozoa. Whatever mold is coming on here is coming off the skin. It's a contaminant. And so they kept tossing it out, right? Ophels and Moffat, 1900, said, hey, you know what? This is a new pathogenic mold. This is actually the cause. And what we thought was a protozoan disease is actually a fungal disease, but we'll still keep the name as coccidioides. So, he went on uh, to find out that it could be recovered from soil as a reservoir. <laughs> and I love this right. because this is the thought process of a scientist at work. If soil is the reservoir, and it transmits to people, it's likely to some degree airborne. If it's mm -hmm. airborne, then animals that sniff soil should be frequently affected. And who sniffs soil more often yeah. than dogs? <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So we have to go all the way until 1940 until someone actually well, published. You know, published, yeah. yes, huh? but I'm going to take you a yeah. little bit earlier to 1929. Oh, oh, 1929, there was actually a major insight to coccidioid mycosis that was, as most important scientific discoveries are, accidents. Wait, but but with a good observer who knew what the significance well, was. Well, 26-year-old, second-year medical sure. student, Harold Chope, was okay. studying coccidioides imidis, one of the two that Ophels and uh, Pereira had found. He was studying right. it at Stanford right. University. And on his mm-hmm. very first day as a second-year medical student, as a researcher... He opened up an old yeah. desiccated culture to examine it more closely. <laughs> yeah. And he inhaled. And he inhaled. <laughs> Nine days later. Santosh, you want to tell me what the symptoms of coccidioides are? So I'm going to go guess. And he got a pleuritic chest cough, a fever, and he felt like shit. Yeah, a painful cough and yeah. very... <laughs> Uh, pus-filled sputum. You know, of course, being in a medical school, he's like, hmm, maybe I should have someone look at this. And the initial <laughs> chest X-ray, because they did have them back in 1929, you know, I know it's all YouTube and Snapchat now, but back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> this was this was near the advent of, of radiographs or what they'd called rentograms, right? Yes, uh, so it showed a, what yeah. looked like a right upper lobe pneumonia, and a lot of the doctors started writing him off because at this time there was still no real treatment for coccidioidal infection. Uh, so they gave him a private hospital room and a radio, and he then YouTubed himself. He, he was featured as a young investigator facing imminent death, soon to become a martyr to science. So... Doctors were sitting there studying him, so he developed erythema nodosum, and the sputum they collected from him demonstrated those same spherules, spherules, sputum specimens demonstrated spherules on microscopy. Try saying that three times fast. Spherules. Spherules. They discovered a number of interesting things about the morphology of the disease. And I believe you had mentioned those earlier, but why don't you tell us again? In the soil, you had what's called a vegetative form, or uh, some some people will call it a saprophytic form. Um, and in this, you have the mycelia growing out. And this is, if you look under the microscope, they're long stringies of divided cells made up of these arthrocnidia. And the arthrocnidia are the ones that break off and become aerosolized. And then th- those are the ones that you can inhale. And then as you go to the tissue form, you see what looks like toxoplasma. You see big, almost like cyst-looking things full of little circles. And that is what's called a spherule. And inside are a bunch of endospores. So, um, you know, this is figure 10 in this beautiful, you know, history that our authors have put together. Um, and they, they lifted it from Dr. Ophel's 
uh, he he hand drew these right because we didn't have uh you know microscopic imaging that was at the level that we have today and so he hand drew what the mycelia looked like uh composed of these arthroconidia from the soil form and he hand drew what the maturing spherules looked like and then finally the mature spherule with the endospores inside and lo and behold yeah it says hey if i didn't know this was a fungus this looks just like toxoplasma or or any protozoan parasite so him being exposed very much contributed to the identification that valley fever is caused by the fungus the fact that you could see these two different spherules in Dr. Ophel's is what led to that discovery and poor Harold's uh, life lesson of do not inhale things in labs. <laughs> Medical technicians are very, very, very admonished when they get a culture with potential coccidioides to you know never handle this stuff outside of a biological hood where um you know you you put it behind that little glass thingy where the air gets swept up and away from you you know santosh i'm happy to say that you are the most uncultured scientist i know oh terrible <laughs> so let's talk about what harold chope's illness would have looked like and what are the symptoms that you see with a coccidioides infection in fact josh most of us walking around um you know about 60 percent of us who catch valley fever out here and by the way if you live out in Southern California, especially in the San Joaquin Valley, coming all the way through Central California and concentrated in Kern County, you've gotten coxie. It's it's so, so prevalent. But the symptoms that you're going to see about 60% of the time is almost like a little bit of a cold, maybe plus or minus a fever. Um, but most people who are healthy will actually have not much except for like a fever and a cold for like three or four days. And they'll say, oh, I think I caught the flu. Now, 25% of people will get a worse flu-like illness where they feel like you know, like they genuinely have come down with the flu. Myalgias, meaning like they have the aches and pains and they're stuck in bed for a few days. And 15% of people have the type of thing you know, this, this young doctor had. And the reason he probably got it so bad is he inhaled a lot of spores. <laughs> it takes a single spore, Josh, to cause infection. Just one. And of course, the higher burden that you take in, the, the worse that your, you know, burden is going to be. If you take a desiccated he went to plate, town which is on just, it like a rock star on cocaine. Yeah, exactly. Just chock full of spores. Your initial burden of disease is probably so high that he got that like full on pneumonia type symptom. So you feel super sick, super weak. You have fever. When you cough, it hurts. Um, you know, you get that chest pain on the side of your chest and it even hurts to maybe even take a deep breath um, and if you were doing a chest x-ray you know you might find something that looks just like a pneumonia you might find nodules in your chest and in a you know certain percent of the time you'll actually find a cavity in the lung where coxie the infection along with your immune system actually eats a hole in your and lung you thought cavities in your uh, teeth so were bad the last place you want them yeah. is in your breathing apparatus. <laughs> now, 
another percentage um, will get, you know, the whole thing, which is valley fever, or it's also called desert rheumatism. Now, around the 1930s, we've, you know, we talked a little bit about how this was found in, you said, the Dust Bowl states, correct, Santosh? Yeah, yeah. So we we found out, you know, along with the help of subsequent researchers, um, amongst them, one of my favorite, Charles Smith, who was affectionately named Snuffy. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> so it, there was a popular cartoon called Barney Google and Snuffy Smith. And so um, his last name was Smith. So they named him Snuffy Smith. This guy, he received his MD from Stanford in 1931. And then he took over as professor of public health all the way from 1948 to 1952, during which time he was also president of the California professor State Snuffy. Board of Health. And, and Dean Snuffy, because he was also dean of the School of Public Health. That's, that's like the villain in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Dean Snuffy. He, he would have been the one like trying to raid Animal House. Well, I was referring more to the Dust Bowl states, and because I hear Dust Bowl and the 1930s, and unfortunately, I immediately think of John Steinbeck. It is. Oh, by the way, one more fun fact about Charles Smith. He was actually a frat bro with Harold Chope. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I got interested. <laughs> These guys studied this stuff a little bit later on. But yeah, the Dust Bowl was going on like throughout the 1930s. And we found out from a lot of these physicians, um, Harold Chope, Snuffy Smith. Um, so these guys were studying the ecology of this disease. And what we found is that here in the United States, coccidioides lived in the soil in the Sonoran zone. California, Oklahoma, Arizona, New Mexico, all these places, and then going down. And all into of Mexico. that is a lot of the same territory covered by those poor Okies in the Grapes of Wrath, yeah, many yeah, of who true. were coming to so California think, to do migrant work. Yeah, yeah. And so I think you actually uh, might have found that, um, you know, when they were talking about a lot of the diseases that was ravaging the Dust Bowl along with famine. Valley fever or San Joaquin Valley fever, which was coccidioides, kind of came up in yeah, Steinbeck's writing. Yeah, in fact, writing. a lot of Dust Bowl migrants died of either valley fever or tuberculosis. So it is, in fact, described in the book, uh, Kern County Valley Fever. This was like kind of a golden age of discovery, not just in the disease of coccidioidomycosis in humans and animals, but the ecology of the fungus um, as it floated around on dust. Part of the reason we also saw this begin to spread was now that we're working our way into the 40s and 50s, you know, there was another pretty big historical event taking part at that time. And our prisoners of war were being brought back and kept specifically in these areas where coccidioid mycoses was prevalent. So all of a sudden we have young people who you know, have war wounds and who are like kind of functionally immune compromised or have open wounds and stuff. Um, coccidioides primarily causes pulmonary disease in the lungs, but it can, as we saw with our, you know, our initial cases back in the late 1800s and stuff, it can also cause either disseminated skin disease or it can cause primary skin disease if it inoculates. Into now, wounds. here's another example of just how 
deadly this disease has the potential to be in terms of how infectious it is, it turns dirt into a lethal weapon. And I know that sounds like an M. Night Shyamalan movie, but if we go to (laughs) December 1977, a massive dust storm began in the San Joaquin Valley, known as, oh, called by the luchador name, the Tempest from Tehachapi. Wow. And it made its way. And again, this is just a dust storm. All right. Something that you're like, oh, no, I have to wash my car and I probably should bring the animals inside. This (laughs) dust storm made its way all the way up carrying a bunch of coccidioidal spurs. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Oh, I was still thinking of cowboys. Um, <laughs> carrying so many coxie spores <laughs> on the tempest from Tehachapi, tiny, tiny cowboy hats and lassos, like straddling a dust, a dust particle, like in the shape of a teeny. So tiny they horse. rode up out of the San Joaquin Valley. <laughs> this is the worst episode into of the Ant-Man. San Francisco Bay <laughs> and unfortunately infected yeah. a number of people and animals, including a, a gorilla at the San Francisco Zoo who then died of the disease. So every generation has its Harambe. Right. So, um, you know, this, this really can hit any mammalian creature. So um, cows, horses, uh, all of our zoo animals, and then our dogs, less so for interestingly, our cats uh, all get affected cats are the um, worst. by this disease. They have their own, they have their own diseases that we spread. And we'll, we'll come back to those in another like plague. There was also another yeah. outbreak. The dirt rose up to attack us again during the quake of 1994 in the Northridge Valley. Uh, yeah, the Simi yeah. Valley. That yeah, Simi the, the Simi Valley was that actually yeah. the Northridge quake, the big one, six point seven magnitude, right? Were, were you, yeah, you were around I, for you it, know, right? Slept through some of it, and there was quite a lot of damage, and we got yeah. uh, our house repaired, and after living in a hotel for half a year, you know, Holy good times. Crap. Yeah. So this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, you guys can actually go back to an episode of House MD. And there is a story, uh, it's a side story of a teenager who falls in love with House. Um, and, you know, she, it turns out that what she has is central nervous system valley fever, coccidioidal infection. Um, and, and that's causing like brain damage to make her amorous towards house. Um, and the reason he discovers it is because he finds out that she took a trip to California when this earthquake happened. Um, and she starts crying and she has milky tears, which is actually it wouldn't happen to someone who's walking around because if you have that much coxie going on in your brain that it's squeezing out of your tears, you're probably like on a hospital bed. Dying. Yeah, but this is Hollywood. Coccidioidomycosis is one of those uh, that can produce milky tears without like the actual tear ducts being all um, like stopped up where you have like dacrocystitis. So and stuff what like happens that. when you try and treat this disease? You know, well, again, jumping back to 1948 with the discovery of our floating head in a jar. Don't think I forgot about it. I just didn't want to get yeah. ahead of myself. <laughs> Aha. So um, the treatment, you, the treatment of coxie, at least in the 1940s was still pretty brutal. You know, remember, Escura had just been rubbing tobacco 
on it. He thought it was like a random rash or, you know, skin ulceration. So he's just like, you know, just rub something that kind of dries up the area and, you know, the nicotine shrinks up your blood vessels so you don't get as much oozing. Yeah. And then in March 17th, 1894, you know, again, before he had his head cut off, presumably, presumably, under chloroform (laughs) anesthesia, all the affected areas on his face were most thoroughly scraped with a sharp spoon. The raw surfaces... And then... (laughs) And then... Yes, yeah. The raw surfaces were vigorously scrubbed with a bristle brush made from horsehair and an abundance of bichlorite solution was applied. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. So, yeah, that was... Basically, what you're saying back then, 1894, is there's something in here which is causing disease. I just want to get it out. Let's scrape it, burn it, whatever the hell we have to do, you know, to kill whatever's going on here. And we'll deal with saving the patient with whatever pieces are left. And (laughs) yeah, luckily we had matured much more by the time we reached the 1930s and the Dust Bowl era (laughs) and the intervention of Chope, uh, Chope and friends and Snuffy (laughs) and Chope and Snuffy and, and Snuffy, by the way, we, we got to return back to Snuffy buddy for just one second while we're getting to the 1930s. So Charles Smith, he'd been a frat brother of, of, of Chope. Oh no, we'll get to him he, on, on He went to Toronto. He, he returned to Stanford and then he had, he'd been talking to Dickinson, um, and he had, Dickinson had gotten funding for him. Um, and so that he was studying the epidemiology of Coxie. And so he had to wander through Kern County, Tulare counties, and he traveled in a Ford, like a car, right? He traveled in a Ford and he nicknamed it the Flying Clematis Four. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he got into the Flying Clematis Four over 18 months, ending in 1939, and saw over 400 patients with erythema nodosum and multiforme, and he would travel with a vial of coccidian, right, purified protein from coccidioides, to actually do skin testing for coccidioides the same way you skin test for tuberculosis. Now, jumbo treatments went from scraping with a sharp spoon and a bristle brush in 1890s. Mm-hmm. In 1930... Uh, we had expanded on our treatments. We were no longer quite so barbaric or brutal. And instead, we bombarded people with x-rays, arsenicals, Fun. so arsenic-containing uh-huh. creams. And the only curative mm-hmm. intervention was amputation, but of course, that would only apply to extremities. Right. So if you have localized disease in one spot, and you could stop it from, you know, to spread to other places. Next... In the late 1930s and 1940s, Charles Smith expanded on the available treatments, and I believe he expanded on it by by taking the ultimate road trip. (laughs) So he he went on this road trip, and he spoke with uh, the Department of Physiology at Yale University, who had also Mm -hmm. developed coccidiomycosis, the disseminated kind that touches your face. This is John Fulton, and poor guy had contracted coccy, um, and possibly when he actually came out to Stanford. Yeah, and he suggested first an artificial pneumothorax. He's like, well, 
let's just poke holes in your lung <laughs> until everything drains out or continue giving yeah. <laughs> you like sulfur to, you know, fire and brimstone it out of you. So sulfa drugs. This was just when sulfa antibiotics were coming around, right? So no anti For more information yet, on but, that, please see know. our first episode this season. Then <laughs> he carried around a little vial of pixie dust. Isn't that right? It was coccidioidin. So this was purified protein from dead coccidioides. But he was trying to see because if you had a person who had coccy infection, you could inject it just under the skin like tuberculin to evoke a response. So, you know, you, you, you saw that there was some T cell reaction to it. So he was wondering if he could use it as a vaccine. <laughs> Turns short, out no. Short answer. <laughs> It, it was a it was a good hope, but yeah. So he work. just carried around a little dust of uh, purified. He's like, "Oh, well, you look sick. Can I inject yeah. these dead, unstudied bacteria into you to see what happens?" Fungi, right. to be, I'm to sorry, be fair, but can yeah. I inject these dead fungi <laughs> into you to see what happens? They would take thymol, which is another like sort of sulfur-containing compound straight into the abdominal oh, wall abscess no. so put it straight in and you know sulfur kind of randomly kills everything that can't metabolize sulfur so um it, it's quite toxic but i probably did a number on um, the fungus i don't know how effective a treatment it was but certainly the first mass used treatment that was believed to work is involved in the paper industry. Dr. Robert oh, Cohen yeah. uh -huh. began using ethyl vanillate, which is not vanilla in any way, shape or form. No. Uh, instead, it's a byproduct mm -hmm. in the production of paper pulp. Yep. And so the Wisconsin Institute for Paper Chemistry just sent him bulk quantities, which I melted on my wife's kitchen stove and poured into thousands. You of know what I learned from capsules. that sentence? Wisconsin has an institute for paper uh, chemistry. Road trip. <laughs> we, I hope we it's will still have around. To look we that have up. to look them up. That uh, sounds awesome. Around nineteen late nineteen fifties, nineteen fifty seven to nineteen sixty, mm -hmm. we finally gained the first and to date only real treatment for coxie. Well, to tell you the truth, Josh, that was true for a really long time until we come to very, very recent times all the way through uh, 1963 when we got azoles. So, you know, when we got uh, fluconazole and uh, itraconazole and all of these guys. But the the very first orally bioavailable azole was ketoconazole, and we have to fast forward all the way to 1981. So you're absolutely right. For, for the longest time, even up till the time like I was born, amphotericin AKA was AKA amphoterrible. It was. And I'll tell you something, man, you know, it when you infuse it, especially in the early days, you had to infuse it into the spot where the disease was. So you maybe had to instill it into an abscess or in a ruptured lung cavity or into the central nervous system, like into, you know, you'd have a neurosurgeon put in a ventricular cistern, or you'd have to just do an intrathecal injection. And just, you know, it would be the worst thing in the world. But prior to this, if coxie got to the brain, if you had coccidioides meningitis, uniformly fatal. And this drug, amphotericin B, turned out to be a lifesaver for those patients. Hmm. Interestingly mm -hmm. enough, the newest generations of the azoles 
include posiconazole, which, while not directly mm-hmm. named, was influenced by Mr. Uh, Alejandro Posado. Posadas. Posadas. So it's uh, yeah, exactly. bringing us and, full circle, yeah. where even today <laughs> he's still treating it in pill form. <laughs> That's true. And in fact, he got one other honorific. Um, we have coccidioides imitis, meaning that it imitates coccidian parasites. Uh, coccidioides imitis, which is here in Southern California, but in a lot of Mexico, Central America, South America, we have coccidioides posadaceae, which is named after Alejandro. So he has definitely left his mark on medicine, and now you actually know who he is. Pocket full of posaconazole. Mm -hmm. To this day, it's used as like a backup if you fail with with fluconazole as usually the first-line nasal treatment. So, yeah, that's that's the grand history of coccidioides. And there's still much more of the story to tell. We're still learning about the immunology and why certain people are more um, kind of at risk for dissemination and all these kind of things. But, dude, it, th- this is a cool, cool history and of this disease. And that, I believe, brings us to the end of... Another episode of Around the World in 80 Plagues. Ah, that's so good. (laughs) The long story short of all of this is if you have prolonged fevers, um, if you feel sick, uh, you know, if you have like the, these kind of aches, pains, joint things going on, and uh, especially if you have uh, like a pneumonia that just won't go away after visiting the Central Valley in California, Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, um, parts of Mexico in the Sonoran life zone in the desert, then you may have to blame coccidioides or valley fever, um, and you should see a specialist about it talk to. But yeah, I, uh, I I hope everybody who gets coxie, you know, listening to this has a, a quick and uneventful recovery. Um, but if you ever need treatment or diagnosis or medications, say a little thank you to these wonderful doctors who, you know, taught us what it is today. So we can just like read and about make it. Make sure if you are feeling any care. symptoms of a cold and you recently have traveled through or live in the Southwest or anywhere in the Dust Bowl, you take it seriously. And, you know, call up your primary care. After that, I don't know if I should continue on with my next road trip destination. I might want to go... Uh... <laughs> no, no, Josh, you're okay. You're okay. Remember, <laughs> self-limited disease, you know, most people, you're, you're so... fine. You're fine. I should say, there, there are people who are at higher risk for severe disease. If you are immune compromised at all, if you're in late pregnancy... Um, if Josh, believe it or not, if you're a Filipino ancestry or descent, and if you're a smoker or if you're diabetic, you know, we should worry that, um, you know, for dissemination, but a healthy young man like you, why are Filipinos more susceptible to coxie? We don't know actually. Um, but there was a very beautiful, uh, epidemiological study done, um, which was looking at uh, mortality. So actually like um, autopsy cases. And we found out that 
people with Filipino descent had a much higher rate of disseminated disease where this mold would get outside of the lungs and into, you know, the skin and everything and have diseases uh, like our, our friend had at the, oh, at the Manny, very beginning. Those spores really um, Pacquiao a punch. It, <laughs> it is. It is true. But and, and it's very interesting because it's not like people of Filipino ancestry are, you know, have any different immune system or anything, but they're uniquely susceptible to cough. Our last just the tip of this particular <laughs> trip was a brief stop at, I think it's called Cadillac Ranch in Texas. And it's just... 10 Cadillacs buried nose down in the dirt uh, with a bunch of spray cans around so you can spray paint your own little message on them. And they're all lined up in a row for no good reason. The kind of thing you only see on a road trip. You can find it in Amarillo, Texas. And it was created originally in 1974 by an art student and an architect. That's it. They just buried a bunch of cars nose down in the dirt. And they're all Cadillacs. And it's fun. It's just, you know, along Interstate 40 in Amarillo, Texas, and it takes you about five minutes to see, but a lifetime to forget. Well, so that's for it that. for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and concerns. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with any sources we used researching this week. This show is produced by me with a lot of help. From all my co-hosts, our theme music is composed by Rachel Ledger. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, everybody. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.